Welcome to the Smith Sense Podcast with Matt Smith. I'm Anthony Bruno, and in each episode, Matt and I discuss ideas that at first blush might seem best suited for entrepreneurs, managers, or anyone navigating a business and a team, but really they're ideas, lessons, strategies, and philosophies that can apply to anyone trying to navigate a successful life. This week, Matt gets into the importance of distribution for any business. We're not talking about the physical distribution of products, but more specifically, the distribution of attention and awareness of those products. Basically, how to ensure that your product or service is available to potential customers at the moment they need it most or are looking for it. Uh, It's an interesting discussion. I hope you enjoy it. So with that, here's Matt. Good morning, Matt. Anthony, hello. How are you? I'm doing okay. I'm ready for it to start raining again at some point soon, but other than that, I'm fine. Fires suck, for sure. Hot <laughs> weather sucks. It's like bad. I can't even do anything outside. Yeah. Just to add to everything else. Right. Exactly. Pandemic, fires, what else is there? I don't know. That's really it, really, right now. Yeah. Can't complain. Yeah. <laughs> How are you? Um, so we want to talk about distribution today. I was making the assertion that, that basically companies don't focus enough on the distribution of their product or service, and that by focusing on the distribution, rather than focusing on what people tend to focus on, which I think, which is either the product itself, they spend too much time on the product or the utility of the product, or too much time around the brand of the product. I mean, the product has to do its basic utility, but all of those two things can be trumped by great distribution. If you have great distribution as a company, your business will be far more successful than others. And I would even say that the way that incumbents get beaten by upstarts is the upstarts discover new arbitrage opportunities in distribution. They figure out new ways to distribute their product or service. So I think distribution is the key. Well, that's interesting because, I mean, I guess to the, the start with, you know, we talk a lot about how we live now in an attention economy, right? Distribution is easy, but attention is hard. Yes. But what you're saying is that distribution still like matters. Well, but I, in a way, attention really address is addressed by the distribution challenge. Think about it this way. There are a huge number of consumer uh, food products that you could buy. Like there's just an unbelievable range of brands and sub-brands and product types. And there are probably, what, eight or 10,000 of those different products within a, within a grocery store. But in that grocery store, those eight or 10,000 products doesn't even constitute you know, a fraction of the total universe of food products that are available. And when you're in that grocery store and you are walking down that aisle, that is when those companies really have your attention. Now, this applies to things outside of retail and outside of food, but it's the fact that that they have an opportunity to get your attention by being on the shelves in the store where you're walking down the aisle today. So I think attention is actually one of the things that's one of the major things that is addressed by distribution. So just being there, being visible is what you're saying, is a means of capturing attention. Right, exactly. And I actually, the way I think of distribution is it because it applies to more than just products. Uh, it can apply to services. It can apply to information. It's just about the your product or the thing that you're selling. It could be a service, it could be information, it could actually be a physical product. But it's that that being intersecting with the moment when your customer is likely to consider you because it fits within the context of what they're doing in their normal day. So think about, for example, one of the simplest examples is if you're going through, you go to the grocery store and now you're going through the checkout and then they have you know, those last little items, the candy bars and sodas and stuff that's right there. I mean, you might not even consider buying those things, but they know that in that moment, in that place, they have your attention and the fact that it happens to be there at that moment where they have your attention 
that they can sell quite a bit. So okay, let's dig into that because there's two different, there's two very different approaches to this, and I, the, the effect is the same, but how you get there, I think, are likely different. And you know, maybe I'm wrong. You tell me. But like at the grocery store, those little point of purchase, you know, stands or what or whatever, that, that's a pretty set thing. Okay, the, the grocery store is putting it there, and you know, I might be in line in front of you, and what I what might might spark me to buy something at a point of purchase is is going to be different than what might might spark you to buy something at a point of purchase. But it's going to be the same options for both of us. How does that apply in a digital world where those things might change based on cookies, past buying experiences, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Is that anything that the person offering the product could really do anything about? Yes. So first of all, let's uh, in the retail environment, you have to understand that those products that are that end up there are not there by accident. They are rigorously tested what the sell-through is of particular products when they put them in those areas. And you notice they do evolve over time. Not only do they have seasonal items, but they'll also you'll see that, you know, it used to only be like candy. And now there's all kinds of other things. You know, you might see like a you know, chapstick or whatever, but there's all kinds of things. And they're constantly, they are being renewed. So they're testing that area. They really are testing it. The other thing I think that's really important to know is that the limited attention and time that people have is true in this environment, in a retail environment, and it's true in a virtual environment too. I mean, what you are able to see when you're going through the physical aisle, right, as you're shopping, is not unlike what, imagine your, your Netflix screen. You can only see so much on it at a time. The, the catalog is enormous, but you know, what is actually, you know, what your choice set is, is actually very limited because human attention is not that broad. So it's not that different, I don't think. Okay. So in terms of, I don't know, like products itself, like there's, there's physical products, which I could buy in a physical location or in a virtual environment. You're saying that, that the distribution between those two are relatively the same. Well, okay. So we're talking about attention. So let me back up a little bit and explain a little bit more. And I think the history of retail is a good, it like explains this pretty well. I think, you know, the, as the West was settled in the United States, the Sears catalog was a huge innovation. Okay. It was an incredible innovation for the families, for the people that were basically on the frontier, especially just their access to products that they had. So Sears, by come innovating and coming up with a catalog where they actually sent it to people, it gave them distribution for their, you know, for their retail store, essentially it gave them, you know, the, the opportunity to sell just like as things evolved, you know, having a, uh, you know, an anchor store in a mall gave you distribution for your brand, for your store. Okay. For the retail store itself. And then within that store, there's a competition for distribution of particular products, but it's just, it's layers and layers of basically competition for distribution and where the innovation and the opportunities abound, I think, for upstarts is trying to find different ways that you can find that intersection again of your, of where your customer, the moment where they might consider your product, you know, and getting it in front of them. In the old world, it could have been something as simple as buying a big yellow pages ad so that when someone is looking for plumbers, they see you, they see you. So you're being considered, you know, properly within that context. And the yellow pages were a huge business for a long time. Ultimately, though, you know, it was uh, Google replaced it and other kinds of things replaced it. And I think that one thing I think is really important to understand that um, it's not necessarily about having your product in, you know, having resellers of it or having it in a particular retail store, although it could be that. A lot of times it is advertising. By advertising properly, you can find your customer in that right moment when they're actually considering what it is and whether if you're advertising, it doesn't matter, frankly, if it's a physical product a digital product, or if it's a service, it can be, you know, the advertising is consumed in the same way. 
So, I mean, does something as simple as like SEO then apply to this as well? If someone's searching for something, then you want to be there. But it, that doesn't feel like distribution yeah. to me. So that's why I'm... I'm it, well, it kind of... Okay, so I think it is distribution. I would consider that distribution because, again, it's finding that moment when, you, when your customer is most likely, when a potential customer is most likely to be considering your product, are you there for them? This is exactly the same thing as if you're walking down the grocery aisle looking for a box of cereal and you look and right at eye level will always be Cheerios. You know, I mean, Cheerios pays for that spot, by the way, in, in the, in the retail store. So that they aren't on the bottom shelf and, you know, they aren't too high for the kids to see. Like that specific placement is chosen on purpose for them. And that distribution applies everywhere. So SEO is an example. Now, the thing is about this is where, where you see upstarts start to, you know, take over and take market share away from, from other companies is when the, as these new methods of distribution or let's focus on advertising in particular, as they emerge, if they are early to adopt them, if they take advantage of them first, if they um, are more nimble, then they can find a way to gain market share where basically it didn't exist before. So years ago, certainly SEO really mattered. Now, SEO, when I'm not saying it doesn't matter, but it's kind of like a, one of the things among 100 things that you must do if you're even showing up. You know, just like you'd have to have a business phone number. You know, right. it's really like that kind of a basic. It's no competitive advantage. It's not going to get you ahead of any uh, incumbent, that's for sure. Let me share a personal experience with this, and you tell me how, to, how this fits in with the theory that you're trying to get across here. You know, I like to cook. And so I'll look up, I'll type in, a, you know, you know, I have certain outlets that I use. I have cookbooks, whatever, but I'm lazy. And so I see I have three ingredients. I know I need to use them because before they go bad. So I'll just type those three things in and see what pops up in terms of ideas for food. What I see, the first page, almost sometimes the first two pages, are these ridiculous personal food blogs that have popped up from every other schmuck in the world. You know, a taste of yum, the white on rice couple, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, you know, I'd really rather see recipes from Savour, Bon Appetit, and Food and Wine. But that's like the third or fourth pages. And these are large, entrenched brands that kind of own that space for quite a while. And they're just getting, pun fully intended, their lunch completely eaten by just some some woman in like Tulsa or something who with a blog that blows right. me away. Right, and I think well, the internet has definitely made it possible for upstarts to have a shot at succeeding. And I think that uh, certainly in that way, by hustling, by understanding that that where the game is won is not in selling magazine subscriptions, like you know maybe some of the other places that you're thinking of would have done it before, but the game instead is won and where they appear in the search engine of Google. And so by focusing on that method of distribution, by making sure that they are ranking higher than their competitors, you know, they definitely can outshine them. They can get exposure that they wouldn't otherwise be able to. It's like if you're walking through the retail store, if somebody, if some, you know, uh, I love this uh, granola and from Colorado, it's called Old Man Granola. I think it's great. I love it. But it's like if Old Man Granola had a Cheerios spot on the shelves, if it had its spot, it would definitely, definitely sell more. It would definitely get way more exposure to the customer than it otherwise would. And um, this is the same thing with the SEO. And I think that th that is a great example. And I think that um, where the biggest opportunities for companies emerge, though, is on the, at the edge of that envelope of innovation. Uh, focusing on SEO really has been something that people have done for, you know, I mean, almost two decades now, you know. But there are other advertising methods that one can use. And so I was talking to a friend of mine who has, you know, is a, a well-known newsletter publisher or newsletter writer really is what he is. And he's been writing a newsletter probably since the late 70s. I mean, a long time. 
And, you know, he, he was interviewed not long ago, just last week, in fact, by a guy on YouTube who he'd never heard of, but who a friend asked him if he would go on to his, his video podcast and do an interview with him. Afterwards, uh, the next day I was talking to him. He's like, have you ever heard of this guy? And I'm like, no, I've never heard of him. And he's like, yeah, it's weird because I think that, um, you know, I, I mentioned something in there and then we had a bunch of sales of, you know, of, uh, subscriptions to his newsletter or something. And, uh, so I'm, you know, on the phone with him and I'm, I'm Googling it and I'm finding the guy on YouTube and the guy's got 140,000 subscribers on YouTube. The podcast that he did with my friend the day before had over 30,000 views already after 24 hours. And he was just dumbfounded by this. He's like, I mean, we've been in this business forever. This is fundamental. This guy's basically doing the same thing. And yet he has a big audience, relatively speaking, and I've never even heard of him. And I'm like, well, he is using a completely different distribution strategy. So whereas my friend is truly an expert in his field, like as much of an expert as one could be, this upstart guy is just eating his lunch. You know, in terms of on the on the video platform, uh, you know, on YouTube, he's using that essentially as a vehicle to drive his business because he's focused on how to succeed within that particular method of distribution. First of all, so we, we've, we've both given a couple of examples for how this has been done and how it's possible. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts, recommendations on concrete steps to take to get there if you're someone listening who wants to achieve that same thing. And, and they might be different with physical versus uh, uh, virtual or whatever, but I'm just wondering if there's like any kind of a playbook, just generally, that we can discuss a little bit about how that might happen. Well, I think there are lots of playbooks for how to get great distribution. And those playbooks can range from you know, how to have a, an outbound sales force, you know, sales force that's really driving direct sales on a B2B basis, for instance. And there's clear playbooks on how to succeed like that. And there's clear playbooks on how to, how to do SEO. There's clear playbooks about direct mail. There's clear playbooks about all of these individual things. And I think my main point with this is in order to experience business growth, what you should do is you should focus on what is another area where your product could be distributed? How do you shape your business or your product or your marketing or your product in such a way that you can increase the distribution? And by doing that, by changing the distribution, you can double the growth of your business in a way that you wouldn't be able to do organically by focusing on just trying to dial in better the one distribution strategy you have. For instance, I have some friends who built great businesses using Facebook advertising. Great businesses. I mean, businesses that were eight-figure businesses generating great healthy profits for them, but they were always at the mercy of, uh, of Facebook's ad platform, you know, preferences, and they changed over time. And they never were able to find another way to be another, another distribution channel because the skills, frankly, that they needed to be successful in Facebook advertising you know, and, and getting their product in front of people through Facebook advertising just really didn't apply in other areas as well. And so they just got stuck. And yet, you know, their business could have been, I think, well, they certainly could have been two or three times bigger if they could have added one other distribution strategy to what they were doing. Could be retail, you know, maybe it was retail. Maybe it's just an Amazon sales effort. I don't know, just getting on Amazon. I think the key thing is, is looking, how are other people distributing similar products? And can we model that? Can we copy what they're doing? You know, can we get on the edge of the innovation curve as these new ways are approaching or these new things that come up constantly? Okay, so the channels may differ. I mean, basically, there's there's different playbooks depending on the channel, and that and the channel is going to depend on where are your customers, where do they live, and how do you get there. So one is to kind of try to 
do some research on, on your customers, you know, where they live both, you know, in the real world and online. And maybe one way of doing that, if it's somehow difficult or you can't tell, is to look where your competitors are. And you're there as well. Make sure you're there better. The thing is, is that most of the time people are only aware of their competitors that exist in their channel that they already are experienced in. Right. What you're referring to as channel, I'm thinking it as just a different distribution method. Okay. Like for my friend, he's like, we're so siloed. How do, how do I not know this guy exists? You know, considering he has this big audience, I, I know everybody, but I don't know this guy because he only knows one channel. And so getting out of that channel, looking outside of that channel for new, for other distribution is the key. And the other thing is that new and all the new innovation for new channels or new distribution, the biggest opportunities are really as those emerge. So whether it's a new platform like, you know, uh, TikTok, you know, really figuring out how do we use TikTok to grow our customer base? And people, first of all, with anything new, they always poo-poo it. They think it's silly and dumb. It's not worth the effort. But there are businesses that can be built around, you know, using TikTok as a distribution channel. You know, there are certainly, you could do the same thing for uh, Snapchat. You could do the same thing for obviously Instagram and Facebook. You could also do the same thing for a chain of, uh, of retail stores. You could also do direct marketing, you know, like direct mail. There's lots of other channels you can do, but the key is not to stick to one only. Okay, that's interesting. And the key is also to pay more attention outside your own universe. And, and, I, and I think that's something that can be, that's true for lots of different parts of a business. I mean, people tend to focus on, you know, how are people talking about me? How are people talking about my product? How are people talking about my company? And that's useful, but limiting. You need to look at, you know, as a company, you you operate in a certain space. You should be focusing on how people are talking about that space, particularly if they're talking about that space and not you, because that's right. the hole that you then need to aim for. That's your new target. And, and I right. talk about that from a PR perspective, communications perspective, but I'm seeing the parallels here very, very clearly in terms of how you can you could make more business decisions on, on that as well. And people just don't do that. No, they don't. And I think, and also, I think people always resist moving into new channels. And what, um, of course, Apple is used as an example for everything. And you can find, you know, every possible business success within Apple's history, I guess. But their effort when they went into retail, like that's not what they did. And so they're like, well, you know, they were looked at by everybody, whether it be Wall Street analysts to, you know, their customer base. I mean, to, I mean, to certainly their retail partners, they were looked at like, this is a stupid mistake. It's an, like, it's egregiously expensive what you're investing in these stores. And yet it turned out that at least over a period of time, they were the most profitable per square foot retail in America. Again, a distribution strategy is about getting your product, having it intersect with the moment when your customer might consider it. And I think, you know, and they use their retail stores wonderfully to do that. Wonderfully. And retail is something that no one thought would be successful. Everyone was retreating from retail. And yet they were investing heavily in the operations there. So that brings up another question I have, which is about control of that distribution. So now, you know, Apple sold its products through certain channels that didn't control. It opened its own retail store, which it did control, and it, and it was successful. We've talked a little bit before about uh, Facebook and how it changes the rules for those people that, you, that, you, that rely on that platform for distribution to a certain extent. And heck, I'll even bring it back to Apple again, you know, the Apple App Store. We're seeing some lawsuits now about, you know, brands and, and, and companies that are suing Apple because of the way that it chooses to operate its platform. So how do you deal with that? <laughs> like, well, I, that's important, I think. So my, uh, my son was actually interviewed on a radio show last week, which was kind of fun for him to do. And this radio show, it's like got some terrestrial 
distribution. And uh, the guy is a great guy. And he's been doing this radio show for probably 15 years. Now, because he was so concerned with owning the channel, he refused to ever publish anything he did on Facebook, or I'm sorry, on, uh, on YouTube. Nothing. He wouldn't put, put anything there. He didn't li- doesn't like Google, didn't want anything to do with it, never put anything up there. So what it did is it made it so, yeah, he, he owns and controls his own website. So if you want to stream it, you have to go to his website for it. You know, if you're not within the terrestrial limits of, of the radio station, think about what he missed out on. The opportunity to dramatically grow his audience over the years, especially in the early days of YouTube when there really wasn't great content on there. You know, it was, it was just a, you know, cat videos and stuff like that, right? It was very limited at first. And he was doing what Joe Rogan is doing. He was basically, he could be Joe Rogan because if he would have published it in an, in a channel that was growing and with wide adoption, but instead wanting to control it too much, it hurt him. It hurt him a lot. Now, on the other side, of course, if you're too dependent upon one platform, you can get shut down. So it is a delicate balance between those two. But I think any ideology about there's no need to have can have owner control your own platform is wrong. And any ideology that says I have to have everything on my platform so that I, I you know, I have total control is also wrong. Again, it's about your customers. Where are your customers? So use the tools and the channels that are out there and see what you can do. And I, you know, even with the retail example of Apple, I mean. They did it to control their, you know, distribution to control the retail channel, and they did. But you know, there's a lot of things they didn't control. Still, they can't control, you know, the flow of traffic, the other businesses that are next to them. They don't own the real estate; they're merely leasing it. I mean, there's all kinds of. No one ever has total control anyway. So I think just recognizing where channel can shine and how it can really help you find that intersection again is what matters. And I think diversifying, it, I think, is really the the message you're getting across too. Like you mentioned, your your friends that built their business on Facebook, and as the Facebook rules change, they fail to adapt. Uh, yep. So it's like not, not putting all your you know, cliche about eggs in one basket and whatnot. Like you know, basically, exactly. your customers live in more than one place, even the places that are harder to reach than Facebook, at least at one time, was. I talked about this before, but really, but it's worth mentioning again. My friends who built a great business that was primarily driven by the distribution and through Facebook advertising, they built that, they were able to build that business because they were really innovative at first. They were early adopters of Facebook's advertising stuff. And so they became very, very good at it. The problem with that is that you become so myopic essentially in that distribution channel and it eventually kills you. So, and so some other upstart, some competitor will have that same, you know, innovative approach, find a platform early, uh, especially when it comes to advertising, because at first on plat- on any ad platform, the ads are cheap. They're really inexpensive. And, you know, basically because the flood of, of advertisers has not yet come to the platform. So you're, you're paying much lower rates than you will, you will end up paying a year from now. So you get, you get a lot of room for error and experimentation. And, you know, and, and if you can build up that expertise, then with, with that extra margin of error, then, you know, you can really exploit that over time. But if you're not willing to switch channels or to really, you know, be innovative on another channel, then the odds are uh, you will eventually be usurped. I'm glad you brought that up because earlier when we were talking, I actually wrote this down in my notes to ask you, and my notes, it says take versus protect, right? That's what we're talking about, right? There, there are times where you're the upstart and you're taking, and you're taking the share away from others. But once you do that, you need to think about either taking the next thing or protecting what you've got because someone else is coming along to try to take from you. And so it's just this constant sort of, there's really no treading water. There's really no, okay, I'm here. I'm just going to live here now. It's sink or swim. 
to take that analogy one step further. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And it is. And I think you have to, you're either growing or you're dying. Like that's the way it goes. And you have to, being innovative is key to business. Now, what a lot of big companies try and do is they try and protect their markets. You know, they, they, they try and, you know, create more regulations or they, or they, um, essentially, you know, uh, like big food producers will, for instance, what they'll do is they'll, they'll buy all the small brands. So they essentially own the entire shelf. So no matter what you choose, you're choosing them. So that's a lot of times what they do because they realize controlling that shelf space is the game they're playing. That's the game. And they really don't know how to succeed in, you know, the, um, you know, in the virtual environment where you're in e-commerce. I mean, it's these, cause they realize that most, pre- most customers don't have a strong preference for one brand or another. Not really. It's just like what's there. It's just what's there. Just to go get back to sort of the, the word distribution for a second, when we first started talking about distribution, in my mind, I was thinking actually getting things from point A to point B, like physically moving products or even digitally moving um, ideas, right? We've talked a lot about advertising and sort of, you know, being sort of back to the awareness component of it, right? But, you know, does the actual moving of things from A to B fall into what we're talking about and or what you're what, what you're thinking right now no not really because it's uh with physical products and the traditional retail world the way the decisions are made is that people are looking through the browsing aisles they're seeing something on the shelf and they're grabbing it or they're trying on a pair of jeans you know that they see in the store distribution essentially having your physical products in that place at that time is where you would create that intersection now in the virtual world it's totally different it's been great for innovation you know the fact that that retail space, which is so limited, is now not now the driving factor of what brands get included in someone's decision or not. But what is driving whether or not the decision is factored in is other, you know, that brand's attempts, other attempts to get it in people on people's radar, essentially at the point where they might be making a decision. And whether that's, uh, you know, through advertising, whether that's through, you know, on, on, you know, getting it, making sure it's available on Amazon, because just a lot of people are there. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different things that the companies could be doing distribution is really fundamentally for physical products. It's not really any different. I, I just see it as, the, it's, I, as information product or as a service. It's just about that intersection. So, so getting it there is, is, is one thing. Getting the there, right, the store to, in some fashion, feature it, that's the rub. The truth is, if you get it in the store at all, you're already better than, you know, uh, nine out of ten of your competitors, right? right. I, I know a guy, he, he, uh, he started up a, a beef jerky brand. And, uh, you know, just trying to get it like he had the idea. It's got a cool name. He does a lot of crazy like stuff to kind of market it and things like that. But like getting it in the store is like it was like but he's, he's, he's succeeded. But it was it was a really big wow. boulder moving up a very steep hill. Right. And as soon as that happened, it, you know, all of a sudden now, you know, if it's working in the store, they expand it to multiple uh, locations and it can get bigger and bigger that way. And, you know, it's not necessarily the best margin as maybe direct to consumer would. But. That doesn't even the point. The point is, is that you're getting it in a point where if I'm like, if I'm walking down the beef jerky aisle of the grocery store, that it's among the options that I'll actually consider, which is the point. That's the point of distribution. So it's that intersection point. Now, there are other things he could be doing, but for a lot of products, there's no better way, especially in food products, there's no better way to have those products be considered than to have them in a grocery store because still as you know, we habitually, that's where we make those decisions, walking down the aisle. I started off by asking you, distribution is easy, but attention is hard. Really, what we're talking about is attention. That's basically it. It's, it's attention in terms of, am I in a place where your attention is focused so that you can, I have an opportunity to get your attention? 
that's just in terms of just being there. But I guess maybe my last question that I could think of right now anyway is there, there seems to be a step before that where if you do have the opportunity to have that attention that you're capturing it fully. So I guess I mean things like if you are you are a new you know beef jerky product and you're in the line of all the other beef jerky things, your name, your design, something has to stand out in a way that captures the attention instead of just being, you know, yet another beef jerky company you know you know what i'm saying is, is that a different topic, topic to get into or i know i think i think it's definitely worth just talking about briefly you know there's all kinds of iteration and improvement you can do once you have distribution there so where that might be like product packaging is essential within the retail environment not, not just the label but like the way the product is if you're selling like a you know i had a baby bathtub business i was a you know a shareholder in for a long time and they basically they made these really great little tubs for really new babies that you'd want when you wash them in the sink, you know, and they're super slippery and, and it was elegant. It was beautiful, but, and they had distribution in re and target stores. And once they got the distribution in target stores, the game was like, how do you get better shelf space? And you get better shelf space by having better packaging, you know, and, um, you know, better packaging. So it takes up less space on the shelf. And so that it actually, a customer can touch it, for instance, in their case, they could, you know, put their fingers through the, the cardboard box and actually feel what it felt like. And imagine, and that that actually really helped with the sell through. On a you know, in a virtual environment, it could be your ads. You know, the, the specifically like what images you use, like what what your what copy you're using. Those things make a huge difference. But like, let's say for instance, if I have a if I have a list of a million, well, let's say ten thousand high net worth individuals who love surfing. If I have an email list of ten thousand of these people, and I and for whatever reason, I know that the, these guys are that this is what that group is. And my product is a new surfboard or a new something that helps you catch better waves somehow. Let's just say it's a, everyone's better with this. So I've got the best product and I have this list of the ideal customer. The ad I use is important, but it's not nearly as important as that list is and having a pro, the product that's relevant to them. I can dicker around with the headline on the copy and the text and all that. The list itself, that distribution from that list is far more as the most important of, of all of them. So it's like, and marketing, I always think of it as list is most important, then the offer is second. So think of offer as product in this case, and the copy is third. So we focus a lot on copy. Copy could be, in this case, the packaging or the text or imagery that you might use. But the list is what matters most. Without the list, none of the other stuff even matters. It's the soil that you're planting the seed in. Exactly. Exactly. But just going back to the distribution part for a second, it made me think of uh, something that I covered when I was at Billboard, which was the the music game space. The reason that that space cratered, it was really big for a while, but they're going because the, to your point, the packaging was terrible. It was you had these big like box like this is this is a, these are stores that sell CD you know case size video games, and you're asking them to put in a package the size of like a Coleman cooler. And that's what happened. It just wouldn't work. They wouldn't carry enough of them. They didn't have enough in the space and it was too expensive. And there's a bunch of licensing stuff we can talk about as well, which we won't. But like thinking back on it through the lens that you've kind of outlined today really makes it clear why that fad went away so quickly because the distribution was unsustainable. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, my main point is if you are a business owner and you have us and you have something that's working, so you've got a channel, you've got a an advertising campaign, you've got distribution, whatever label you want to put on it, but you've got at least one example where this intersection between your product or service and the customer intent, when they really match up, when you have one of those things working and you're looking and trying to grow your business, 
that instead of thinking about how you can, you know, the default is, well, if we get another product and we push it into that channel, that could help. Now, sometimes that's a low-hanging fruit. Sometimes it is. Or otherwise you think, well, maybe we can tweak our copy or tweak our messaging or, you know, in this channel and we can scale that channel. And sometimes, again, that makes a lot of sense and that can work. Where your competition, new competition will form and where you could be totally left behind is when somebody enters into with a new distribution channel. They step into something new entirely. And if you are able to do that with your business, if you're able to go from what's working now in your business and adapt it somehow to some totally new channel, then you can unlock value that's very difficult to imagine right now. So lastly, then, is there any books, articles, videos, anything that uh, anyone could follow up with to, to learn more about some of these steps? You know, this one I really don't have. There's not a lot that I have. It's not actually anything that comes to mind in terms of books or anything. I just, it's a common thing in marketing to think, as I mentioned before, the list, you know, the offer and the copy. And I just think that that application, just one, just switched a little bit to think about it in terms of distribution, I think is where, where the money's at. And I think really should, people should be focusing there. So it's just a mindset thing then. Okay, great. Well, that's, that's helpful. Thanks very much. Great. All right. Thanks, Anthony. You've been listening to the Smith Sense Podcast. Thank you for joining us. If you'd like to read more about Matt's thoughts on this topic and others, please visit his blog at smithsense.com where you can also read the show notes, leave questions, and join the discussion. If you like what you've been hearing, please give us a rating on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And sharing it with friends would go a long way. A quick thank you to Russ Rizzo for the show notes, to our engineer Jason Sanderson, and to the wonderful Zoe Keating for the use of her beautiful music. I'm Anthony Bruno, and we've been sharing time with Matt Smith. Have a good week.